Yeah, so the, uh, the reading comes from, uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and the first 14 verses of, this, uh, of that chapter. And um, this is Jesus speaking, and it's just, just after he's um, forecast that he's going to be betrayed, um, and he's, he's forecast that, uh, that Peter will deny him. Um, and uh, so chapter 14 starts off with, don't let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus said and answered him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Uh, Liam went away on holidays, and he left me with this wonderful topic, other faiths, not controversial at all, uh, which is very kind of him. Uh, and, it, and it is good to be able to get stuck into the very last in our short series on things that Jesus said. Uh, and in this one, uh, I want to say straight off the bat, but it, it, it's a pretty loaded topic, isn't it? Uh, because what Jesus says doesn't really fit with the perspective uh, of most of the culture around us. Uh, now I reckon it's worth cutting straight to the chase and looking at Jesus' words right here at the very beginning. Uh, as we do, it's good to note uh, as, that, uh, that when it comes to things Jesus said about other faiths, there's, there's actually not a lot. Uh, Jesus spent most of his time with uh, Jewish people, a little bit, just a, a small window with Samaritans. Uh, and so really, he only spoke specifically to Judaism rather than uh, across the board about other faiths. Um, but what he did, does say uh, really makes his position quite clear. Uh, and it came up in the passage Jeff just read out for us. And so I'll read uh, just one verse, the specific verse that tackles it. That's this one, verse 6. Uh, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, to make that bit uh, a bit clearer in the context of the passage, uh, which we will look at a little bit later, it's quite clear that what he means when he says uh, that no one uh, comes to the Father is that no one gets to heaven. Uh, no one will go to heaven except through Jesus. Uh, in other words, he's saying that Christianity, his teaching, is right and all the others are wrong. Uh, and so that's a huge statement. Uh, in our context, that would be kind of the height of political incorrectness, wouldn't it? Uh, we live in a multicultural, multi-faith society. Uh, and for one faith group to say that they are right and all the others are wrong, well, it doesn't go down so well. Uh, it's considered arrogant, intolerant. Uh, in fact, I've noticed that the only time that someone can appropriately be intolerant in our culture is when it's an intolerance of this kind of intolerance, which is a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, I remember seeing on Q&A someone uh, loudly proclaiming to uh, the Sydney uh, Anglican Archbishop, was it, I think, I'm intolerant of your intolerance. Uh, they didn't like Christianity's exclusive claim. And so for us here today, uh, whether you're a long-time follower of Jesus uh, or whether you're just checking him out for the first time, uh, it's a really important subject uh, to, to get our heads around. Uh, for the long-time believer, more and more people are going to call on you to justify your position. Uh, and you need an answer for the person. Uh, you need to be able to answer that person. Uh, you need to know what kind of person Jesus is. If you're exploring, you need to know what you could potentially be signing up for. Uh, and why he says this thing that so clashes with our world around us. Uh, and so the goal for us today is to look a bit closer at this controversial statement of Jesus uh, and try to make sense of it. Uh, now the way we're going to do that is we're going to hit what I think are, are the biggest questions that Jesus' statement raises. Uh, the first one being, uh, isn't Jesus' position just one of arrogance? Uh, so we'll look at that. Uh, second, we're going to see, we're going to ask, isn't it unloving uh, for this to be his statement? Uh, and last of all, we're going to ask, can we trust Jesus? Uh, that's really the big question in all this, isn't it? Can we trust him uh, and what he says? Uh, now, as we do that, I'm going to get through that uh, hopefully pretty quickly uh, because uh, after that, uh, we're going to invite uh, some real missionaries up. We're going to have a chat with them. Uh, we're going to hear uh, a bit of their story uh, and what it looks like for them uh, being in a, a place uh, where they share Jesus with people in a very different place and a very different uh, culture and religious background. And then after all of that, it, I know it sounds busy, but we'll, we'll get through it all. Uh, we'll have a Q&A where you can... Uh, Push back uh, if you have questions. Uh, you can dig a little bit deeper, both with me and with the missionaries who will be up here. Uh, and so before we do all that, it's, it's quite a big order. I'm going to pray for us uh, that we can tackle this sensitive topic well. Uh, so please join me. Lord, we are just so thankful that we can be here gathered. Uh, we thank you that we have the freedom to do that. Uh, we thank you that we have a faith that stands up to questioning. Uh, that we can ask these hard questions, that we can uh, dig in uh, and see uh, what the Bible says uh, about 
uh, such a controversial statement. Uh, and so please help us to do that well. Uh, help me to speak uh, both clearly, truthfully, uh, and as well, uh, please help me to speak sensitively as we go through it all. And I pray that at the end of it, we'll, uh, we'll know you better and love you more. And we pray it in Jesus' great name. Uh, and so we're going to kick off, like I said, with that first one. Uh, we're going to look at, at, is this really a question of Jesus' arrogance? Uh, as, they, as people first encounter these words, uh, Jesus is the only way. Uh, that's often the gut re reaction, isn't it? Uh, that it seems quite arrogant for Jesus to presume that his path is right. Uh, and all others are wrong. I mean, think about the ramifications. Uh, picture Ted, he's a 70-year-old bloke, uh, he is made up, uh, and he's devoted his life to doing good. He's taken every spare bit of money that he has uh, over the course of his life, and he's used it to help people in need. Uh, he's never committed a crime, he's never even fudged his taxes, but Ted is not a follower of Jesus. Uh, and so according to the words of Jesus, he cannot come to the Father. He cannot go to heaven. And of course, that's just as true for someone who's devoutly followed a different religion, isn't it? And when we put it in those terms, it does seem striking and unfair. And we want to recognise how a claim like that can be offensive. It's no surprise that, that Christians are often seen in the community as arrogant and condescending for making a claim like that. And now, I think a lot of that is to do with our culture having a very different way of thinking about things. Usually our culture says that it's arrogant to presume one right answer, and so instead says that, that we should seek truth in all the answers. Now, I think one of the better, way, better known ways to describe this kind of thinking comes from actually an old parable that comes from India, and I think it captures the way a lot of people think about this. Uh, in it, we've got an elephant. Uh, an elephant arrives uh, at a village. Uh, and as the elephant arrives, there's a group of blind men there who've never encountered an elephant before. Uh, they decide they want to find out for themselves what it is. What is this elephant thing? Uh, so they go to the elephant and try to figure it out. Uh, and as they do, they come to quite different conclusions. Uh, one is holding the trunk. Uh, and declares that the elephant is just like a large snake. Another grabs the leg and says, no, 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 you've got it wrong, buddy. Uh, the elephant is it's kind of like a tree or a big stone pillar. Uh, another grabs a tusk, and his take is that it's actually kind of a sharp, long thing, like a spear. Uh, another takes the tail, and he thinks it's a rope, and so on. Uh, and the idea of the parable is that... Uh, the religious of the world have each grabbed hold of part of the truth. Uh, each have a, a bit of the truth, but they've missed that there's something bigger at play. They're all describing the same thing, ultimately. Uh, but from each of their perspectives, it seems a little bit different. And that, that view of, of things allows us to take hold of the idea that, that if we each genuinely strive to live well in our own way, with our own bit of the truth... Uh, then it's okay that whatever expression, it's just one part of the truth, and that's enough. And I want to say that it seems very appealing, doesn't it? That we're all right in our own way, that we've all got a bit of the truth. Uh, and so we should just get along, each grabbing hold of our bit of truth. 
Uh, you might have even noticed people speaking in that kind of language in our community. They're probably not talking about elephants. Uh, but you might hear people say something like, well, that's your truth and I've got my truth. It's the same idea, isn't it? I think that's what the parable tries to capture. We've each got a bit of our, our own bit of the truth. Uh, and we do need to notice that for most of the world's mainstream religions, we do see lots of common elements, don't we? Uh, for the most part, most religions value gathering together in some form. Most have a holy book that guides them uh, and, and a sense of a God or gods who teach them what to do. Uh, so it seems on the surface that there's lots in common. But we also need to recognise when we do dig a little bit deeper, they're fundamentally different. Mainly because each claim to have an exclusive path to God. The Buddha says the only way to enlightenment is via the eightfold path. Uh, Islam tells us that uh, it's the five pillars uh, are the only true path to Allah. For Jews, it's only through God's law and so on. And so while people often assume that religions are fundamentally the same, it's actually the opposite, isn't it? They are fundamentally different and at best superficially similar. And I think for people in those religions, it's actually quite insulting, isn't it? To lump them all together and say they're all more or less the same. It ultimately shows uh, that the person assuming they're all the same doesn't really have a good grasp on what he's making a judgment on. He doesn't really have a good picture of the individual religions that he's talking about. See, it can't be that each has some different expression of the truth because they each point in such different directions that they can't possibly be compatible. And we've got to factor in as well that there's presumably a limit. Uh, there must be some restriction on who makes the cut. I think uh, we can all agree that the religion that claims the only way to God is through child sacrifice shouldn't make the cut. That can't be a valid path, can it? But it shows us that it can't be as simple as just saying each has their own path to God. Each is valid. But of course it needs to be more exclusive than that. See, ultimately the illustration just doesn't work. But here's what I think is the most striking aspect of it. Did you notice who in the parable isn't actually blind? It's the person giving the commentary. It's the person who's saying that they're all fundamentally the same. It's the person without the blindfold that can see where all others are ignorant. They're the only one who can see the real truth. Everyone else is missing part of the picture. And see, ultimately, that, that person fits the bill of arrogance, don't they? to suggest that everyone else is blind to the real truth, but they see it all. And so for the person who claims that all paths are valid, what starts off sounding like an inclusive view that brings everyone together is actually a claim that they're right and everyone else is wrong. The very thing that the religion that says, that says theirs is the only way is accused of doing. Uh, the very problem they're trying to solve. The simple reality is that of all these opposing claims, they, they just can't all be true. 
Islam, Christianity and atheism can't all be right. And Christianity only does the same as the others and claims that it has the truth. I also want us to recognise that, that if they really do have the truth, it's not arrogant to say it. It's simply presenting the reality. Ultimately, the question we need to be asking here is not whether Christianity is arrogant for its claim. We need to be asking, is the claim true? Uh, let me give you an illustration to help you think about it. Uh, imagine that you're in a hall like this, very easy to imagine. Uh, we've just discovered that there's a bomb. Uh, now, don't be alarmed, there's no bomb. I can see Joy panicking a little bit. No bomb, Joy. Uh, don't be alarmed. Uh, we're just imagining. But in this scenario, we've all got to get out. We've all got to get clear, don't we? Imagine that I'm the only one who knows that there's just one door that will get us out safely. Would it be arrogant of me to tell you which door that was? Would it be too pushy that if I told you to, to go into that cupboard means you, you're probably not going to make it? You're not going to survive, no matter how fast you run. If we were in that situation, if someone made that announcement, I don't think we'd be wondering whether they were arrogant. We'd simply be wondering, is it true? Do I need to listen to it? See, see, Jesus saying, I'm the only way, would be arrogant if it weren't true. If he knew that all paths led to God, then Jesus is a jerk in, for insisting that we take his path and his alone. But if it's true, then it's completely appropriate for him to say it. And of course, when it comes to Jesus and whether what he says is true, uh, that's a big question, bigger than we can tackle entirely here and now. Uh, but if that's a question that you need answered, uh, let me say that I think there's really good evidence to say, yeah, yeah, I think of all the paths, of all the claims, that Jesus is the right one. Uh, and that's something we tackle in our life series. That Remember, that's coming in just a couple of weeks. Uh, and so I want to encourage you, if you're not sure about the claims of Jesus, if you're wondering whether they're true, then that is a great place to be. Uh, but for now, let's make uh, the assumption uh, that it is true, uh, that Jesus' words are right, that he is the one and only way to heaven. Because even if it is true, it, it does raise for us another question. Uh, and that question is our second point. Uh, isn't it unloving? Isn't it unloving of God to give us just one path? Uh, think back to our example of Ted. Uh, sure, it might be true that Jesus is the only path to heaven and therefore Ted, despite all of his good things uh, that he's done in his life, has missed out and so missed out on heaven. But it being true leads to the obvious next question, doesn't it? Why would God do that? What kind of a God would block the way for someone like Ted to get to heaven? You can see why Jesus' claim to be the only way is to many outright offensive, can't you? But I think that offence comes mostly from a distinct misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian. So if you ask the average person on the street uh, what a Christian is, or perhaps even a, a more general question like, how do you get to heaven? Uh, for the most part, I, I think you'd get the same answer. Something like, 
the person who's a Christian, the person who gets to heaven, is someone who tries to do good. I don't know if you've encountered that before. Uh, if they were talking specifically to the Christian, they might reduce it down to following a particular set of rules. But in general, the perception is that the person who will go to heaven is the person who does good. Someone who, in the scales of life, has more good than bad. Uh, in fact, when it comes to religions, almost all of them involve a quest to be good enough. I don't know if you've noticed that before. Uh, each has their own expression of it, a, a different expression, uh, be it the Eightfold Path or the Five Pillars. But for most, it's dependent on your performance. But Christianity says something else, something different. Christianity teaches that no amount of good deeds can get you there. And the Bible holds up that all people fall short of the standard of heaven, everyone. Uh, now that may sound harsh, uh, and of course there's plenty to work through to, to get our heads around that, but in simple terms, it comes from God being a God who simply can't tolerate wrongdoing. I heard it once described like this, uh, that to us, sin or wrongdoing uh, is a bit like getting sand on our hands. Uh, it's messy, uh, but we can put up with it. It's not that bad. Uh, we give it a wipe, we dust ourselves off, and we're okay. But to God, uh, sin is like sand in the eye. It's completely intolerable. Uh, he just can't stand it. And that may sound overly harsh for God to have such a high standard. But I want to argue that it's in, an incredibly good thing that God has such a high standard. We don't want a God who is okay with wrongdoing. We don't want a God who tolerates uh, sin. Now, that's really obvious, I think, at the messy end of the spectrum. Uh, of course, he shouldn't tolerate murder and sins like it. The trouble is, where do we draw the line? We have to ask, how much can someone be hurt and it still be okay? All of us have hurt people, right? Uh, and that puts us out of line for heaven by God's high but good standards. And if the story ended there, it would simply be a, a tragic story of hopelessness with everyone missing out. But the Bible doesn't stop there. That, that's uh, not where it ends. So the good news of the Bible is that rather than God being arrogant and unloving, he sees the dire position of humanity and in love chooses to do something about it. That was the reason that Jesus came. He didn't come uh, to lord over us his one and only way. He didn't come to rub in that he holds the keys to heaven. Rather, he came seeking to funnel as many as he could through that door because he yearns to see people saved. He yearns to see people make it to heaven. And it's interesting that the verse we've been thinking about all this time, the verse where Jesus makes uh, the claim that his is the one and only way to heaven, comes in a section of the Bible that's all about Jesus' compassion. The very first words Jeff read out, and he pointed them out for us as well, were, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says that because this scene is taking place in a, in a pretty devastating moment for the disciples, the people that he's talking to. 
They've just been hit uh, with the news that Jesus is leaving. They don't quite understand yet that it's because he's going to be crucified, but, but it seems that they're feeling the weight of the situation nonetheless. And they're anxious. They're worried. They want to know what will happen to them as Jesus leaves. And so listen to, I'll read just a bit of the passage again. Listen to what Jesus says as he tries to reassure them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. The disciples are lost. They're anxious. They're nervous about what will happen to them. And so here is Jesus reassuring them, showing them that their future is secure. They're not worried if they've found the one way. Uh, they can be confident in Jesus. God has opened up the door to heaven. And in him, they can be certain that that's where they're headed. Christianity says no one is good enough. And so instead of trying harder, we need to look to the one who is good enough, to Jesus. The, the Bible offers something that seems too good to be true. Uh, not a need to be good enough, but simply a need to trust in the one who is. And all this leads us to the final question that all this hinges on. Can I trust Jesus? Um, now, I guess as I phrase that question, there's two uh, aspects to this question. Uh, the first is, can I trust this is true? Uh, the second, if it is true, can I actually trust Jesus? Uh, he says some hard things, uh, things that clash with what our world says, uh, like this claim we've seen tonight, his claim to be the only way to heaven. Now, tonight we're not going to speak much to the first aspect. Uh, like I said, life is coming up. Uh, it's a great place to get the answer to those questions. Uh, it speaks speaks to that question far better than I can uh, in the space of this talk. But I think it is worth pointing out uh, that in my, my experience, the, the vast majority of people who write Jesus off as untrue do it having never really looked into the evidence. Uh, and so please, please don't leave here tonight if you've got that question, assuming that it's not true. Please come to life. Uh, see that there is evidence. The evidence is compelling. Uh, but, it's a true, but if it's true, there's big implications. Uh, and so it leads us to not want to check it out. Let me urge you to check it out. Uh, but we will look at the second one. Uh, if it's all true, if Jesus is someone, 
Is Jesus someone I can trust? And when I say trust, I don't just mean accept his words as true, but actually throw our lot in with him, to go all in, to make our life about following this one path he talks about. And I think there's a lot of reasons for us to trust Jesus, a whole bunch of them, but I'm just going to give us one tonight, one to finish off with. And you should trust Jesus because... He puts his money where his mouth is. And that's a funny saying, isn't it? Uh, To put your money where your mouth is means to show that you believe something, not just uh, with words, but with actions. Uh, You'll put that belief uh, into action, I guess. Um, Let me give you an example of it. If you're a computer sort of person and you've known me for a while, uh, you know that I use a Mac. Uh, I'm a Mac guy. I have a Mac computer, uh, an iPad. I'm using it now. I've got an iPhone. Uh, I'm all in in the Mac kind of ecosystem, and it's a bit of a back-and-forth thing. Uh, Some people go PC, I go Mac. Um, And the people who know me know that I'm pretty committed down my Mac path. Uh, But it may surprise you to hear that it wasn't always the case. I used to think Macs were lame. I had a PC. Imagine that. Uh, I could never imagine switching. In fact, I was quite adamantly PC. But then along came Cursed Dad. Uh, and he tried to convince me otherwise. Uh, he told me that, uh, that they were better, that they'd be better suited to what I do. Uh, and he urged me to give them a shot. But I said, no, no thanks, I'm fine. Uh, and then so what he did was he showed up one day and he gave me a Mac, he bought me a Mac. Uh, which is very generous, uh, but it was his way of convincing me. Uh, he, he was so uh, convinced that I'd prefer them that he spent his own money to get me to try it. And of course he was right, here I am now, a Mac guy. I haven't looked back. But in the end I listened because Kirstad put his money where his mouth was. Uh, he didn't just say it, but he put his own wallet out there to convince me that it was a worthwhile idea. In a much, much bigger way, Jesus puts his money where his mouth is. Jesus says a bunch of really hard truths. Uh, One of the hardest is what we're looking at tonight, that there's only one way to heaven, and it's through him and nowhere else. But he shows us these aren't just mere words for Jesus. Uh, He shows us that he cares so much about us finding that way to heaven that he's willing to lay his life down to make sure that it's possible. Now, I'm sceptical of a God uh, who says, if you do enough, I'll let you into heaven. But the God who says, I want you in heaven so much that I'll lay my life down in your place, there's a God who's putting his money where his mouth is. There's a God uh, I don't just believe is speaking the truth, but a God I want to follow. That's why Christians uh, can't just leave faith as a personal thing, but instead are compelled to share this news with others. It's not about trying to force people into their mould, but it's about wanting people to know uh, the joy of this path to life, know the joy of following the one who gave his life to make it possible. If you're here tonight already convinced that Jesus is worth trusting and following, then how can you not want to share that news? I mean, if there was a bomb in the room, 
and only one way out, you'd be telling anyone who would listen, wouldn't you? You'd be making sure everyone knew that truth. How much more would we be driven to share the news of just one path to heaven? How much more should that drive us to get out there, to proclaim it? Jesus says there is only one way to the Father, only one way to heaven, a way that he has made possible by putting his life on the line, by laying down his, his own body uh, so that we can get there. What an incredible piece of news. I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to let the missionaries come up here uh, to share with us. Lord, I want to thank you for this uh, hard but wonderful piece of news that uh, there is only one way to heaven. We thank you that Jesus loves us so much that he won that path for us, uh, that he did that by laying down his life. Lord, that is incredible news, uh, well worth grabbing hold of. Uh, Lord, I pray that for us who, who might be wrestling, uh, trying to wrap our heads around whether this is really true, uh, that you would help us to see the evidence, that you'd help us to grab hold of it. And for those of us who already have, I pray that you would uh, give us an urgency, urgency to share that news, uh, to take it to the world, uh, to let others hear it. Uh, and I pray it in Jesus' great name. Amen. Um, now, before our guests come up, uh, we do need to be a little bit careful in getting them up on stage. Uh, and we need to do that uh, because uh, it's a little bit sensitive uh, where they're working. Uh, so to protect that work, um, uh, we're going to do a couple of things. We're, we do, as always, stream to YouTube, and we're going to cut the video. So if you're watching at home, I apologise. You won't get to see us, but you will get to hear us. Uh, and so as we speak... Uh, we won't be using names, uh, so most of you probably know the names of these missionaries, but we're not going to say them into a microphone uh, so that that's not streamed. Uh, we're also not going to say the name of the place they're at. Um, uh, if you're a regular watching along online, sorry, you, get, you will miss some things, uh, but you can catch up with our friends later on uh, and get them to catch up. Uh, is that what I... Have I got that right? Good, good, good. Uh, Tim, are we all secure? Very good. Uh, well, friends, come on up. Uh, as they come up, uh, while they're up here, we're going to be asking them a few questions. Uh, I'm going to ask them a few questions, and then you'll get your chance. Uh, so we'll have our Q&A after. Uh, you can uh, text through any questions that you have if you want to stay anonymous, or you'll be able to ask them into the mic. Um, so store them up. Uh, you can put up with my questions, and then you can hit them with yours. How's that? And um, so the number you want to text to is there on the screen as well. And uh, That one. Uh, well, let's start with the obvious easy one. Uh, who are you? Don't use your names. Uh, yeah, this is a great introduction where we can't use but, our names. But tell us, <laughs> tell us who you are without telling us who you are. How's that? Okay, yeah, we were thinking of using fake names, but that might be a little corny. Um, well, we've had a long association with this church. Back in 2014, we had had the privilege of being involved with Lake Mac when it was really, really small, when we met over in Bonnells Bay Community Centre, and there, there were about six people in the band and about 
five people in the congregation. It was really kind of sweet time. Uh, and it's great to be back. Uh, Lake Matt keeps on growing. It's great to see old familiar faces and great to see new ones as well. Uh, yeah, I can't introduce our kids or tell you who they are, but just a little bit. They're 14, 12, and 10. Uh, their initials are SOS, which is purely coincidental. And so, yeah, we've been living, uh, yeah, a long association with Lake Mac, but we've been living overseas for the last eight years or so. Uh, and so can you tell us, uh, as vaguely as you need to, what you've been doing since then, where you've been? Um, so we've been in um, Central Asia, um, so it's kind of a bit of a black spot in the world, but a lot of people hear of Afghanistan, but not many other places. Um, but we've been living there and uh, working amongst Muslim people. Um, we've been working with the same people group that we did uh, when we started out with our journey uh, nearly eight years ago. We're in the big country to the right in China, and we were working with the Uyghur people. And, uh, and then when we were not able to continue doing that because of the political situation, we um, had to change our location to go to the one of the countries next door. So we still work with the same people group. Uh, we work with the Uyghurs and with the devout Muslims um, that live in that country also. Mm, great. Um, now in the talk, uh, we, we kind of talked about why someone might be compelled uh, to share the news of Jesus, but uh, you guys kind of took it to quite an extreme, being in a strange part of the world in a, in a whole different culture. Uh, what took you there rather than just doing it here? Um, well, as you said in your sermon, like we believe that Jesus is the only way um, to, to the Father. It's the only way to get to heaven. It's the only way to have freedom. And, um, and that, that thought um, really drove our desire to go to people that wouldn't ever have the opportunity to even make that choice. So it would be like having a bum in a room and nobody being there to tell you where the way out is. You just got a bum in your room, basically. So we, we really felt that we wanted to give people the opportunity to be able to choose Jesus because they didn't have that. So uh, we work among very closed communities. So these people might never meet a Jesus follower. They might never have a, a chance to read the Bible um, or be told about it. And um, the communities are very closed and they're mainly families and they're all Muslims and that's all they're ever exposed to. So our, I guess God really spoke to our hearts on giving people the opportunity to have the good news. So because the bum's in their room as well, and, uh, and we wanted to be able to share with people that there was hope. Mm, great. Uh, and what, what kind of response do you find? So you're obviously standing out where you are. How, how do people, I guess, respond to you guys, but also uh, to the gospel and to Jesus as, as you interact with them? Yeah, so there's quite a mixed response, uh, mainly or partly through the NGO work that I do, we, there is uh, a positive response uh, from some people. Uh, it's interesting, I'd only just noticed it for the first time in verse 11 of John 4 that we were reading, where Jesus says, uh, I am in the Father and in the Father is in me. And then he says, uh, or even just because of the works I've been doing, you can believe in me. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, okay, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. 
That's kind of complicated. It might be a little bit unusual. But you can see all the good things that have been happening. That's easier to understand and that's a little bit more obvious. And so that's one thing that we try to do is to try and do things that make sense to people uh, in terms of what they already understand and believe about the world. Because Christianity to them, well they really have the wrong end of the stick. They believe some things about Christianity that aren't true. So they've got the wrong impression. Uh, so we really want to try and give them the right impression. So part of that is by doing good things. And so we get a positive response from some people because we help people with disabilities and those sorts of things and that's seem, seen as being a good thing. Uh, but we're also really misunderstood uh, because people don't really know what Christians believe. And give you a, a few faces of some people. <laughs> yeah, I'd just been to the dentist. Um, yeah, so this is one of our friends and he's actually had more conversations with foreigners than uh, most, most of his friends and most other people uh, in his society. So he's starting to learn a little bit more about Christianity, but he still, he still doesn't really understand what we believe. He thinks that we worship three gods, he thinks that we believe that Mary is a god, uh, so they totally misunderstand the Trinity. Uh, and he would just keep on misunderstanding unless he meets someone who follows Jesus and has an opportunity. So, uh, yeah, he's, his response is he's kind of intrigued and he's interested and we hope he's on the path to, to gaining a clearer understanding. Uh, hmm. The next picture, there's another, oh, yeah. another similar example, which Mary can probably talk about. So this is a group of ladies I've been getting to know. So um, getting to know people takes a long time because they're very suspicious, especially when they only hang out as a family. So this is just an extended family group. All their friends are family, and then there's me. So you can tell it's uh, you stick out right from the get-go. Um, but relationships take a long, long time. And after they learn trust, they will start asking you questions. So I didn't go in there kind of saying, this is what I believe, you know, what do you believe is wrong? It has really been a journey of them just being around me. And then after the trust built and they could, I guess, see who you are, they, they've started asking me questions about what I believe and like, so they'll say, you know, so uh, how do you teach your children about your faith? Like, what does that look like? And it's just been great to, have the things that interest them, like what, how do you pass on your faith to your children, and just have chances to just tell them what we do. It's really non-aggressive, and, uh, and they're happy to listen, and they, they drive the questions, and, uh, and just really um, just believing that God's at work in their hearts, just prompting those questions. And, um, but this is like a two-year two years we've known these people just about and we just get into those questions after two years so it feels like such a long-term project for them to move to the place where they're just not aggressive against christianity but they know a christian and they want to know more and it's it's a, a long pro, a long project but i'm thankful for for relationships like this mm. Um, so you, you've spoken about uh, a few people that you're getting to know, that you're building relationships with. Are there any Christians in Central Asia? What does it look like for them? Uh, yes, yeah, so there are people, quite a, a significant number of people came to faith at, when the Soviet Union collapsed. 
and all ideas were new. A lot of people, or a significant number, embraced that. Uh, but for most people, when they become a Christian, they face a lot of opposition, mostly from their family, other people in, in their communities, especially if they're from a small community like a, a village. And so they really face this choice early on as to whether they will continue as a Christian and work through opposition, work through being rejected by their family, or will they turn back and rejoin the community? Uh, so for them, it's a, it's, a really, it's a really big choice. It's very significant uh, for them to actually be a Christian and to follow in that path. Uh, we have a, a photo of uh, one group of guys there. Can't see that very well. Sorry, that anonymity actually works quite, quite well, accidentally. Uh, so this is a family who live in a mountainous area in the country that we live in. And they're the only Christian family in their village. Uh, and our country is quite a poor country anyway, uh, but for him, he gets less work because he's a Christian. And his father wasn't allowed to be buried in the Muslim cemetery, uh, which is a really big deal. And so he faced a lot of pressure and uh, a lot of accusations from his extended family. Uh, so for people who come to faith, yeah, it's, it's, a really, it's a really tough, tough path for them uh, to, stay, uh, to stay faithful. I think there's one other, one other example. Uh, yeah, so a lot of Christians stay very fearful living in that environment. These guys have, have taken uh, the step to go to uh, Afghanistan. Uh, they were there for a year or so. Uh, then the... The Americans pulled out and the Taliban took over again and then they had to leave and he's been going in and out with uh, emergency food distribution and that kind of thing. For some reason Afghanistan's kind of fallen out of the news recently but there's still quite a large humanitarian crisis there. Uh, a few people came to faith that he knew and so he's gone back in to try and serve those people and, and encourage, uh, encourage those believers. Um, but again, yeah, it's about access of information for people in the country that we serve in, uh, but then that also flows on, like in Afghanistan, through these people who come to faith, uh, to give people the option to respond to the good news in an entirely very strict Muslim society. Uh, so these guys, um, yeah, God bless them, have done really well with that. Yeah, cool. Um, now we might uh, float over to Q&A. As we do that, um, let me again remind you, if you know their names, please don't use them because uh, Ellis is going to bring a microphone around um, so that you can ask. I'll also check the ones that have come in. Um, the other thing, it'd be good to, I'm sure that lots of you have lots of questions about, uh, you know, kids schooling and what kind of food they, they eat and stuff. But if we could kind of narrow it uh, to tonight's topic, I guess, uh, and the work they're doing. Uh, and then you can ask all those other questions over dinner or through the coming weeks, um, if that's okay, just for brevity. Uh, does anyone have a question you can ask them or me? I probably won't answer their questions, but I'll give it a shot. I can tell you my name. I'm Alison. I haven't met you before, so I can't use your names. Um, my question is, I would imagine when you're in your country, 
you may meet someone and it would be natural for them to say, oh, you're from Australia or, you know, if you're from another place. Um, what is it that brings you here? And so my question is, how do you respond to that? Uh, yeah, good question. Yeah, people are very curious, especially because where we live, most people are wanting to leave and get to another part of the world. So for people to willingly move there is a very strange thing. So yeah, this is a really good question. It's a common question and it's a good one because it gives us an opportunity to, to talk about why we're there, but we have to be a little bit careful about it. So we talk about it more in terms of the things that we believe are good to do based on what we believe. So I will talk about, so I work as a physiotherapist consultant, and so I will talk about how there are lots of good health professionals in Australia and there are kids with disabilities here, but the ratio of health workers to disability kids with disabilities is, I don't know whether you'd say good or just put it in relative terms, that it's better. Uh, where we live, there are lots and lots of kids with disabilities. The percentage is a lot higher, and there's hardly any good, well-qualified health professionals. There's one occupational therapist, or there was one occupational therapist in the whole of the country, she was also Australian and then she left, so now there's none. So I talk about it in, in terms of having the opportunity to do something good based, based on what we believe. Uh, and that tends to, that is a good approach, I think. Uh, it's true, so that makes it a good approach. But it also, people don't really like philosophical conversations, thinking about which belief is better who has the better perspective on life, uh, but people do like to see things happen in action. So there's a lot of corruption in the country we're from, and so they're tired of politicians saying, this is the right way to go, this is what you should do, this is what we're gonna do, making promises. But when people act, when Christians act and love others, then people take notice and they start to get a better impression of what Christianity is actually like. Hmm. Um, now I might squeeze in, because uh, I've had a question come through on SMS, uh, so I'll just read it out. It seems cruel or unlucky to be born into a country or family that doesn't follow Christianity then, uh, or a child that hasn't come across Jesus and then passes away. Um, so maybe I'll give a quick answer and then you can give one. That's definitely your question. On the Rob, road. You can, you can give a... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I think that, that, that feels really harsh, doesn't it? Uh, that there are places with... with only a few workers uh, proclaiming Jesus. So w w what about those guys? Uh, one aspect of it, I think, is to think um, it's not fair for anyone to be saved. Jesus actually did something that we don't deserve. It, it was grace. Uh, so none of us deserve the grace, uh, but there's this wonderful gift that he's given it to us. Uh, now, it feels unfair that, that there's so many more Christians here than there. Uh, and so I guess part of my retort would be, well, let's fix it. Let's go and tell them. That's what these guys are doing. Um, but uh, I guess the other side of it is that we do see God acting. We're through, through guys like these, uh, through others. We, we do see, uh, I think often we have this perspective that places like Australia are where all the Christians are. But actually, there's a lot more Christians in China than there are people in Australia. Uh, so actually there's a weight of Christianity in other parts of the world that we don't quite recognise because we associate Christianity with Westernism, but it's, 
it's actually not quite how it works. So, so it's a bit more complicated than that. Um, to speak to the child part, yeah, yeah, it, it is hard to wrap our heads around. The, we sometimes like to speculate that uh, what happens with a child and how God treats them, it doesn't actually give us a clear answer in the Bible. Uh, so again, I come back to, well, do I trust God? Uh, and the way that I know I trust him is because he's acting in our interest. He dies for us. That's the person I can trust to go beyond fair in the way that he treats children and, and people in those other countries. Um, maybe that feels like a cop-out. Uh, if you want to talk more about it later, we, we can keep talking. Do you want to add anything from your perspective? Would you? Mary does. It's also really interesting that in, it, there's a really neat book that's been put together by another worker of testimonies of people that came to faith in, in our country. And it's such an interesting read because you've got lots of people with having dreams, lots of people experiencing amazing miracles that we don't often see in, in the West at least. And I think God really does seem to reveal himself in quite a dramatic way to people that don't have the access that we have. So I think, I feel like reading through this book that they, that God is also, he reaches out in, in pretty spectacular ways um, as well. Like they're not just totally in the dark. Like so many people have dreams, don't they? And that dreams aren't really a thing here. But um, in the Muslim world, dreams are a real powerful thing that they experience often. And we've met lots of people that have had dreams of a person in white trying to you know, showing them things and reveal himself to them. So, yeah, God's working, even in those places. Language difficulty. Oh, yes. That's better. That's better. <laughs> You've got that language difficulty, particularly at first, but it's the loving kindness and helpfulness that continually comes through from you that brings them round slowly. So it's your love and your kindness that shows through as being something that Christians are. Yeah, thank you. We hope so, because there definitely are language difficulties. You hit the nail on the head with that one. <laughs> We'd like to say, no, the language is fine. We can communicate perfectly well, but... Yes, yeah, we, that's certainly our prayer. We, we hope that uh, even just being there and, I mean, kind of Australian culture has so many good things about it. And, and one thing is, I think, that it's, it's not that hard to find uh, people who you can trust. In the culture that we're in, uh, lots of people don't have very trusting relationships. There's a lot of suspicion. And so we've actually found it relatively easy to, to get relationships with people who will then tell you things that you don't expect that they would talk to you about because you can develop a trusting relationship. And so, yeah, we, we hope so. We feel blessed that we've had the opportunity to, to experience good relationships through family and church and friendships and that, and that kind of thing. And we hope that that's one example that people will see something in us that ultimately comes from God that they can understand even even with our messy language and when you ask people uh, which toilet they go to pray in rather than which house of prayer they go to pray in and things like that I won't tell you who made that mistake there we go. Now, uh, in the interest of being loving towards our kids' church leaders, uh, we might finish there. But uh, remember that these guys 
are around for a while and particularly over dinner uh, so please feel free to draw up a chair next to them and get stuck into them uh, this week or, or into the future and uh, we might even given the time scrap the last song so everyone you can come and sing by yourself later uh, but I'll hand over to Ellis just to wrap us up and, and send us off to tea